Hello and welcome to The Gray Area, where I give interviews with developers, talk about gaming news and reviews, and focus on the interrelationships between gamers. My name is Genesee Gray, and this is the 74th episode in a weekly series called Evo Review. Here with me is Chris Fire Scott from Chocolate Lemon and 8-Bit Games. Last week's episode was a discussion with me about the secret world, some games I'm playing, and some news I had to add. Please visit www.genesee.com to add to the forum discussion on that topic and to tell me your story. Today is Friday, July 27th, and we are going to discuss EVO, the competitive gaming competition, and learn more about competitive games and find out what Fire has been up to lately. All right, so just give me a, like, okay, so what's the uh, theme? And what we were, You just wanted to know about EVO and everything about that? Yes, EVO was a couple weeks ago, and... I'm sure that there's a segment of my listeners who are uh, into competitive gaming, and I feel like right. I don't have a lot of knowledge about that, and I feel like it's unfair to not cover that section. So I know you okay. game competitively, so I thought I'd ask you as more of my expert on that. And I know that you also know Justin Wong, who plays pretty well. Yeah, so I thought, he did pretty good, yeah. So I thought I would ask. All right, so let's just jump into it if you want. Okay, ready. Okay, for my listeners who don't know what EVO is, EVO is the Evolution Championship Series. It's an annual video game tournament, basically for fighting games, um, and they have something called a double elimination format, which I found interesting, and maybe you can explain to me uh, what that means. Double elimination. Uh, double elim, it's the American standard usually. It's you get two chances at advancing and winning. What happens with EVO is that they do the first round is all pool play. There's about maybe 16 people. And the win, like, what happens in those 16 people is you fight a normal tournament. If you lose, you get sent to the loser's bracket. Now, to get out of your pool, you have to win in the finals of either winners or losers. Most standard tournaments is that when you do double elimination, then you play grand finals where it's the winner of the winner's bracket versus the loser of the loser's bracket for it all. But EVO, they kind of cut that down, and they take the top two. And then the, the winner advances, obviously, through winners. And then loser, obviously, plays through losers. There's many pitfalls with that because... Wouldn't the super winner be extremely advanced compared to the super loser? Or is it just the kind of luck of the draw and maybe you just had a bad game? Uh, I think a lot of it is luck of the draw because sometimes you may draw a character... Well, fighting games initially are one part matchup of the characters and another part a matchup versus the play styles of each player. So, in theory, you can get a terrible matchup for your character. Like, Is it random? Uh, yeah, because you don't get to see who you fight. Like, You just, okay, well, oh, you're, you're fighting this guy, and unless you know the guy, you have no idea what they play, who they play, how they play. So you have to figure out everything about that person and how they play that character within about two to three games. Three games is pushing it, but you're not really supposed to lose too many times because, you know, you only allow two losses. I see. Okay. The games were, that were in uh, 2012 EVO were Super Street Fighter IV mm -hmm. Arcade Edition, Ultimate yes. Marvel vs. Capcom 3, Mortal Kombat Soul Calibur 4, The King of Fighters... 13 and Street Fighter Tekken, which were the ones listed. And uh, it was on July 6th, July 8th, which is why I kind of figured it's been a little bit, a couple weeks, but uh, definitely worth covering still. And and it looks like um, 
um, as Americans, we have certain games that we're kind of more expert in than others. Right. <laughs> Apparently, Marvel vs. Capcom 3, we pretty much took that. Uh, all right. seven places except, well, not one, six places of, uh, of Americans ranking, which is neat. And yeah. guess who's number seventh? Uh, my, my good buddy. <laughs> it's... You know what it is, is that with Marvel, with the games like Marvel, America has always been good at Marvel versus Capcom. Uh, even back to the days of Marvel versus Capcom 2, America just had a chokehold on that franchise. I've been to Japan a couple of times, and I can't even find Marvel cabinets in Tokyo. So, oh. Why do you think that is, considering it's been pretty much a classic of Evo, right? Uh, I don't know. I feel that... I, I think I'm going to go on a limb and say that Japan is stronger in games like Street Fighter, Virtual Fighter, and maybe Tekken because there's an arcade scene for it, and a lot of the players go there and travel from that. Like with Marvel, it's really a console-heavy game. So after a while, they took they obviously took the cabinets out of the arcades, and you had to play on Dreamcast. And I don't think people were going to each other's houses to play Marvel vs. Capcom 2 on Dreamcast. So that's why you have a very niche following for the Marvel series with the Japanese. Okay. See, I know all of these games except The King of Fighters 13. I confess I don't know that one, and that one looks like it's also quite populated by Japanese winners. Um, King of Fighters, ironically, it's a lot of Mexicans, too. It's uh, Koreans and Mexicans for King of Fighters. Oh, I see. Yeah, second and fifth, apparently, was Mexico. Yeah, Bala. Bala's like one of the best King of Fighter players ever, and he's Mexican. And it was crazy because everyone is a joke in the fighting game community that only Mexicans play King of Fighters. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, it's pretty much true. Like, they go in because I figured it out because someone told me they're there in, like, South America and stuff like that. Like, the SNK cabinets are the easiest for most arcade owners to get. So there's more SNK cabinets down there or, like, emulators that are running SNK games in the arcades rather than having a lot of Capcom fighters. Although I have to say, uh, fifth in Marvel versus Capcom was a Mexican man, Caesar. Yes. So... Interesting. Yeah, they're stepping up, man. I, know what it is? Fighting Evo is like the World Series of Poker. <laughs> it's, it's the best. Well, don't way to people travel it. quite a distance for this? I think this year it was held at Caesar's Palace, which was mm -hmm. in Nevada. But I understand that people travel, you know, from Japan internationally. This is the place to be. Yeah. Do you run? It, do you know a lot of people that are there, and you kind of run into them every year, or is it a different crowd? Um, well, I went in 2011, and it like that was my first year of going because I said, you know, I'm going to go. And if you're active on the tournament scene, I'm active in New York, so a lot of the players knew me because I ran tournaments and stuff like that. Not because I I was this great player, it's just that oh, he runs the Battle of Eight Bit, and he runs these tournaments, and they've seen me on stream, so. It becomes like a, like a, a celebrity sighting list, like, oh, that's so-and-so, that's so-and-so, and everybody's just hanging out and having a good time, man. Nice. Well, tell me about Justin Wong, because for listeners who had caught the last podcast we did together, uh, you had talked about your friend Justin Wong and that relationship. For those who don't know, can you give a little bit of background on that and, I guess, tell about his Cap Marvel versus Capcom? Uh, how I met just like I'll tell you I met Justin Wong uh, back in the day uh, at the plane trade I used to be on 13th Street I ran tournaments there and we became friends and he taught me some stuff and then we started to do a website TL Gamer and then he moved to California so he's I think working for Atari or something like that like one of the companies and he's still competing he's on uh, Evil Geniuses right now 
And he's just become, uh, he's really going in on Marvel because he enjoys it. He's been playing Street Fighter 2, but not as much as he's, I've seen him playing Marvel online and stuff like that. I understand you had quite a few matches yourself this year. Tell us about that. Uh, I did okay. Uh, what they started with the shoryuken.com is they did the Road to Evo, where if you go to a major tournament, they have a list of san- uh, sanctioned majors. If you go there and you place, you receive Evo points, which affects your pools. Like, let's say you have 20 Evo points. You probably won't be playing Daigo in the first round, okay. first match. You know, they don't give you impossible stuff, but they like to split up the really good players. So that way it's not... They're knocking each other out early, and then you have some guy from Alaska winning it all because he really fought nobody on his way to the finals, you know? I see. That makes sense. So with my run this year, I went to Apex. That was like the first major of the year. That was in, I believe, January. And uh, what break that down for, for those of us who are not in in the competitive scene. What is Where is that held? And tell me about about that a little bit. Apex was held in Rutgers, New Jersey. It was mainly a, a Smash Brothers event, actually. It was really a Smash Brothers event. And they decided to add fighting games at the last minute. And uh, they got sanctioned for Evo points. So that blew out the registration to about like 90 to 100 plus people for fighting games. Traditional fighting games. Hmm. And um, it was pretty cool. It was a two-day tournament. I ended up running it and filming. And it was a, it was a mess. But... I did pretty well considering I had, I think, 17th out of like 90 plus people. So I just missed the top 16 cutoff for Evo points. I was a little bummed about that, but all things considered, I did well. Then there was the NYU tournament, Spring Fighter, that I went to. I got seventh place. There's usually like 100 plus people at those things. So it was pretty cool to do that. What game were you playing? Uh, I mainly play Street Fighter Arcade Edition. I'm not good in Marvel yet. But I'm waiting for another fighting game. Maybe Persona 4 Arena is going to be good or they're going to bring Guilty Gear back out. But right now I'm learning how to play Chess Fighter 4, you know? Is there a lot of kind of double gaming where you you learn one really well and then you you add others to it? Or do people usually just kind of focus on one? Uh, It depends on what game it is because there are certain mechanics that it transfers over to games. Like if you play the Capcom fighting games, most of the stuff that you know about the engines do transfer over, like juggling and the combos and the inputs. But if you want to play something like Tekken, it's completely different because it's only four buttons and the inputs are different. But a lot of the concepts, like the, the core concepts, like spacing and punishing and making reads, that's all universal. So if you can make the proper reads and you can space, then it's just learning what the gravity of the planet is, so to speak, you know? Okay, I understand spacing, but making reads, tell me about that. All right, so making a read in a fighting game is like you fought the person, you saw them do some stuff, and then you can say, okay, logically, I believe that this person is going to perform this maneuver next, and I will do this to counter that. I see you reading their, their kind of projecting what you what you think they might do based on their, I understand, reading. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it's like you're reading a person. Like, oh, well, he likes to throw fireballs. So at the start of the next match, I'm going to jump at him because I think he's going to throw a fireball. And if he throws a fireball and you hit him and you get the full combo, you've made the right read, you know? Mm. So it involves a lot of people skills in some ways. Cause oh, oh, yeah, definitely. It's 
Uh, when something like when Marvel, it's a little bit crazier because it's so much stuff going on until you open that one person up and then you get your combo. But with one-on-one fighting games like Street Fighter or Tekken or even Mortal Kombat, a lot of it is spacing, trying to feel each other out, throwing feints. Uh, it's gambling because you say, I'm going to gamble that he's not going to do that. You weigh your risks. And then you really have to get into like a, the psychology of another player. Like mm-hmm. You have to figure out if, okay, well... He's down on life and he got knocked down. I think he's going to DB because he has a character that has a dragon punch. Like Ryu, Ken, Cammy, uh, Dudley. Any character that can just wake up with a, like an invincible move. So you feel that they're going to do that. So you can either just block or you can just chance and attack, you know? So there's a lot of stuff that you have, like a lot of decisions you have to make within instance. So it's pretty good. So do you learn to play a lot of mind games because you don't really want them to be able to judge your style and predict what you're going to do? How, is, how do you practice something uh, diligently every day and kind of learn all your moves at the same time, uh, switching them up often enough that somebody can't just you know, guess what you're going to do? Well, me personally, I've been called random plenty of times, but the way I see it is that your characters are toolboxes. Every single character in a fighting game is a toolbox, and you have tools to get over certain sort of situations. Now, what makes you a better person or a player or smarter is taking those normal tools and using them in creative ways and setting up new experiences or finding new answers for simple things like... Uh, if I'm fighting, I play Cammy. I've played Cammy since uh, Street Fighter 4. So I've actually learned from like ground up and I understand the character. And she has moves that go through fireballs. But I also sometimes use that move to go through fireballs to go through regular moves. Because you space it out right and she'll pass right through it and then hit the person. So it's just a matter of figuring out new ways to use old toys, you know? Okay, creativity. Interesting. All right, let's see what else I want to ask you here. Oh, you talked a little bit about 8-Bit, which um, I understand you, do you manage or you just work there? I'm a manager at 8-Bit. I'm one of like the, there's only like three people that really work there and we're all key holders. So we are just a family. Okay. So you, you and 8-Bit. Now 8-Bit is in New York. Yes. And and what, what would you define 8-Bit as? 8-Bit, it's like... The best way to describe it is like going over to your best friend's house and or having them everybody come over to your house and you have all your games and stuff like in your basement or in your attic. Mm-hmm. And it's just one of those environments where it has a culture like customers come in, they build relationships with us. And, you know, you can go in there, you can see a bunch of people playing games sometimes. I run the 8-Bit Dojo from there. I run tournaments. There's an event going on. There's a Gamer Girl event going on uh, sponsored by Gamer Girl Vogue. We try to do a lot more community stuff because it's easy to be a retail store like Video Games New York and just be just have space, like stuff on top of stuff and have no space. And then people just come in and come out and they just buy what they need. But we feel that if people have a place to go, like you can come there, talk about games, maybe see them or just hang out with the guys and just shoot the breeze. You know, there's not that many spaces for that in the city anymore. Uh, I was thinking about doing a show about it and it would be like cheers, but about a video game store, Mm -hmm. you know? You usually see that kind of environment in more of like the RP gaming stores. It's neat to see it uh, in kind of the fighting game genre or more, I guess, mainstream games. Yeah, it's different because I'm going to tell you, it's been an an interesting experience because 
a lot of gamers we're we're social and sometimes we joke and some people sometimes people don't get the jokes because so i think we're being jerks or being rude and stuff like that so it's like it's tough to try to you know bring people out of that shell and just start interacting with them and you know, a way that's comfortable, you know, because we're regular guys. So, like, the average age of the person that works here is, like, 20, 25, you know? So. Mm-hmm. Are there a lot of gaming stores around where you're, where 8-Bit is located? Because where I am, there's really only one in town, and that's kind of the place if you want to go. Do you find it has a lot of competition so that you, you can plan those community events and, and kind of have draw people? Or do you think it's kind of just the only one around? Um, there's another story. Video Games New York is down the block. There's uh, J&L in Chinatown. So it's not so much a retail sort of thing because I mean, you can buy it anyway. If you really want to buy something early, you'll buy it from wherever to just to get it. Mm-hmm. But in terms of running events and actually interacting with the community, I think aside from maybe Chinatown Fair, which just reopened, we're the only ones in Manhattan that really do events consistently and reach out to community. There's Next Level in Brooklyn, but that's sort of a, mainly an event space then a retail store. Okay. So there's not that many places. So I like to think we're the only ones in town that do, you know, like location is good and, you know, you can come there and hang out. Like I've had people come there before they go out to bars and stuff like that and play some Street Fighter matches and then they just, just go out, you know? <laughs> and it's also probably the only place where you can host Prolympics. Yeah, the Brolympics. It's it is bro is is Brolympus. It is the place where all the bros congregate and discuss the bro things to live the good bro life. <laughs> you were mentioning a a girls tournament that was sponsored. Do you find that you you have a lot of women that come as well, or is it pretty much just majority of guys? It's majority guys. We get some girls in there. It's weird because you. Because the number doesn't say, like, the actual site statistics uh, doesn't, like, no, I'm sorry. The gaming statistics, when you break them down, it's about even men and women playing games, like, slightly more guys. But we do get some girls in there, but they don't really reach out enough. It's tough to reach out to them, and they don't really reach out to us. So it's like, we don't know what to do, you know. You don't want to be offensive, Mm -hmm. but you don't want to, you know, be exclusive, I've had a lot of gaming stores that I've been to are really eager to answer questions and they don't make you feel completely stupid, which is pretty much the best way, I think. You know, if people come in and I've come in, you know, wanting to know, oh, you know, I like this game and I want something similar. What would you recommend? And and definitely, uh, you know, just being friendly like you are, I think is probably the best you can do. Uh, You know what? Questions like that we love because then, you know, you can actually get the dialogue. But we've gotten some pretty ridiculous questions like, do you have Pokemon uh, Quartz? And we just look at people like, really? (laughs) Why? Because... (laughs) Like, really, bro? Like, Pokemon Quartz for real? (laughs) Well, the thing is about... The thing about it is is that people like to make up games where they try to ask stupid questions, like legitimately stupid questions like, where are all the Mario games for PlayStation 2? Mm, well, people don't know sometimes platform-specific games. Or see, like myself, I mean, I know there's a thousand Pokemon games. So I don't keep track of them. I wouldn't have known Quartz. I would have assumed, you know. Yeah, I know, but it's just you can tell sometimes because you know what? A lot of people are used to the GameStop mentality, where you can go into GameStop and you can be a jerk to the the cashier, or you can ask dumb questions and they can't really say anything to you. Oh. Like you can say, "Oh, I want Battletoads for the 360." And like, I, they Why can't. Why can't they re- say something? They, they can't say anything because, you know, they'll get fired by their manager or whatever. Uh, so okay. it's like, oh, you know, you can be a jerk. But when you have to deal with real people, people forget that. People forget how to interact with one another, you know? <laughs> Regarding Evo, uh, I'm looking at the, the stats and the names here. <laughs> Obviously, there's no girls here. I'm not seeing any girls here. 
what's the deal with that? Do you do uh, does no one compete? No, girls do compete. It's just that the thing about fighting games is that it's the great equalizer. It's not like you know basketball where LeBron James is guarding Diana Taurasi and she has to guard him, <laughs> and there's a huge weight and height difference and stuff like that. Right. Fighting games are a level like gaming in general is a level playing field. So if you're good, you're gonna win. No questions asked. So I a lot of it I think has to do with how most of the fighting game community handles women, like the stream monsters and the negativity and stuff like that. We all remember the cross assault debacle and it's 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 really bad sometimes, but sometimes it's really good too. But I've known like there's a couple of girls I've lost to like a couple of girls online. And I've lost to maybe one or two in Japan, but I haven't really lost, you know, like offline one on one. I think my ex beat me once or twice, but that was it, you know. But I just wondered it, if they competed or I oh, guess. girls do compete. They definitely compete. Some of them compete. It's just that I don't know. I I haven't seen that many girls fight, you know. To be honest with you, like not just like not like foxy boxing or anything like that, but. I haven't seen that many girls show up for like tournaments. Like I had a couple in my store, and we got a couple at Mash Fest. But for something like Evo, it's that's a huge commitment, you know. And yes. I don't think a lot of females feel comfortable with their skills or whatever to come out there to like to compete, with like all those guys or whatever. Like maybe they feel like they can't compete. I'm pretty sure a girl could probably win because, like my my theory is this: like if a woman really really applies herself to a fighting game. I don't think she can lose because it's hard enough to figure out what women are doing in the course of a normal day. You, <laughs> you know, think like, that she'd be able to confuse you enough that you couldn't read her? That, yeah, that you couldn't read. read. There's, there's no way you can make her read because I have trouble reading women in like my daily life. I'm like, is she <laughs> mad at me? Is she upset? Like, She'll say things like, fine, okay. <laughs> yeah, fine know, like, is never good. <laughs> yeah, it's never good. But then it, she could just mean everything is fine. You know, like you don't know. So I really think that a, a woman can make make a splash if she really works hard and gets better with a character and then just understands the game that's all it really boils down to you know like fighting games are traditionally viewed as a boys only sort of sport but i like if more girls started playing and you know just really finding characters that they like and really exploring the game i think they could do fine what's the environment like at evo is it very like tense and nobody talks because you're competing or is it friendly uh, what is it like when you're there um and it depends on what's going on. When you're not playing and you're walking around, it's great. It's like a bunch of kindred spirits. It's, you know, it's it's like, you ever saw that Bruce Lee movie, I think, uh, Game of Death, when they're all going to the island? Yes. And they're all talking about their fighting styles. It's sort of like those between times where everybody's just talking to each other and just learning stuff. Before they try to kill each other? Yeah, before they try to kill each other. And then when you're, you're playing, it's cutthroat. There's excitement, there's tense, like there's tense moments, your heart's pounding, your palms are sweaty, you know, you're trying to figure out what's going on, you're trying to stay calm. That's why I brought my little pony. My, I have an Applejack, so whenever I go to like big tournaments, I bring her with me because it calms me down. It reminds me that I'm playing the same game that I play at home, you know? Does anybody say anything about, it's a stuffed animal, I assume? No, it's, it's a little uh, plastic pony. It's a little plastic pony from McDonald's. Okay. Does anyone say anything about your Applejack? Uh, someone like I get a lot of high fives because I'm a brony, but uh. I'm like I'm pretty much like people don't say anything about to me about my pony because they don't want to get beat up. Because they know, right? If they say something that's gonna enrage you, and then you will like kick their butt in the game. Yeah, and in real life, I'll probably German suplex somebody. <laughs>
in Evo, you have kind of like the traditional, I guess, winners that come back every year. Is there that kind of expectation where, you know, you you see, you know, Justin Wong and everybody uh, knows that, you know, he's going to place high. So they, I don't know. So people maybe get psyched out when they have to play him or does he usually just end up playing other people that are you know ranked really high because like you're saying you, you have like the winners that are playing and then the losers that are playing do people get psyched out just because of somebody's popularity well the they, they call that the justin wong factor like oh my god i'm playing justin wong and then people start to overthink themselves or second guess and then they end up losing because he just stays calm but Evo, it's tough because the only person to really repeat championships is a perfect legend in Mortal Kombat. Other than that, it's a lot of parody because uh, in this year, like this is, ex- I'm really excited about this. In Super Street Fighter 4, there were eight different characters in the top eight. Oh, okay. That, that is like, that's never happened. And the people that were expected to do well, like Daigo and uh, Punko even Justin Wong and Ricky Ortiz, they didn't place as high as they thought they were going to do because, you know, the competition does change and the game gets tougher because it goes on. And, like, with Street Fighter and, like, fighting games, there's always that one guy that's somewhere that's just training in his basement Mm -hmm. that's just working hard and grinding things out. And then he just gets unleashed on the world and no one knows him. But when you're a top player, it's hard because everyone sees your stuff. Everyone knows what you do. It's like, being a superhero and fighting on TV all the time, the bad guys are going to start watching your fights and figuring out what your weaknesses are based on looking at your fights, you know? That's right, like in football. You know, yeah. Watch your videos and rewind. Yep, that's all they do. So it, it's going to be tough. Some people that are really that good, like Justin is still, what, finished 13th, like top 13. So that speaks a lot to him. Daigo has top five, you know, so it's one of those things where... If you if somebody does that's unknown works at it that they can come out of nowhere and just wow just like tear stuff up. Is it strange when let's say you're playing Sakura in, in Street Fighter, do you often end up playing like that same character that your opponent's playing, or do they match up different characters so you won't end up both playing Sakura? You don't know. You really don't unless you know that person plays a character. You really have no idea what they're going to play until you see it. And then it becomes a mirror match. And then it gets awkward a little bit because you're like, oh, you're wearing that. I'm wearing that too, you know. <laughs> We're both at prom in the same dress. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. It's really terrible because some characters, it, it's kind of hard to fight that character as the same character because you don't have the tools to get that character off of you, you know. Mm-hmm. So... The mirror matches do happen. It did. It, it happens. It's a. It's a fact of life. So, it's just if you know the character and you understand the character, then it becomes how you beat the other player rather than that character itself. Because you know what the character can do. You know the limits. You know the range. You know everything. It just you're fi- you're really fighting that other person at that point. Okay. All these games are are on the PS3, so I understand. Yeah, are PS3. Able, are you able to bring your own controller and like your own customized bits with you, or do you use what's there? Um, you have to bring your own stuff. It's bring it's bring your own controller. You cannot bring a wire. Uh, you cannot bring a wired uh, a wireless controller because that messes with the you know PlayStation Three wireless, and you have to uh-huh. desync and unsync stuff like that. But people have ridiculous controllers, and they make them, or they build arcade sticks and. Uh, I know a guy named Broly Legs. He plays on a GameCube, a modified GameCube controller, because he has, 
He has a condition, so he can't really use a regular arcade stick, you know? Okay. That thing's a horse. And it's yeah. a controller. <laughs> huh. Do you find... I mean, I was researching this, trying to improve my shooter, first-person shooter games, and there's quite a few customization things where you can snap onto the stick to give you extra um, you know, sensitivity for your aiming, and there's this and that. Do you subscribe to any of that, and do you have special things on your controller, or do you think that's just a way of making money? Uh... From on my controller, my well, I have two different ones. I have one for Xbox and one for PlayStation. My one for Xbox is white and pink, and then my PlayStation Three one, I'm gonna make it into a My Little Pony arcade stick. So, um, I think that things like the extra grips or whatever for fighting games, it really doesn't make a difference because execution is execution. There's really nothing that can really improve that because all of it's muscle memory. Mm. But shooters possibly like i wear gunners when i play shooters because there's sometimes there's some things i cannot see on the map like if a uh, perfect example in metal gear online when the servers were still up there was a map called urban ultimatum and it was in a city and the skyline was white and uh, blue like it was a clear sky i normally couldn't see camoed people at the top of a building but when i started wearing my gunners and it changed the the tint of the screen a little bit yes. i was able to make things out a little bit clearer uh, well, I think the Avenger is the one that's all triggers and stuff like that, that you can make all, you control all triggers. I guess that works. I mean, maybe it works for some people, maybe it doesn't. I think that the best way to actually improve your overall game is just to practice and just to try different things out, like try different speed settings, try different, uh, no, try different sensitivity, try inverting. Try getting used to shooting, like if for FPS is just get used to shooting at the mod, the character models, so that way you really don't have to aim because you know you'll know. Okay, this is where their heads are always going to be, no matter what, unless they're crouching. You know. Mhm. Very true. I'm looking at the lineup of uh, games, and it seems like there is occasionally a kind of a wild thrown in there. For yeah. the most part, it's the same like thing, just basically the next version of it, but. I see Mario Kart was in for a while, and what do you guys think about kind of that wild game thrown in there every once in a while? It's fun. The thing about it is, uh, like a lot of the fighter game, like fighting gamers, like they like to play different things. So they'll have side tournaments in like Mario Kart or Smash Brothers. There's tons of side tournaments. I mean, the main stage is usually it's like a sporting event. Like Street Fighter, Super Street Fighter Four, the finals. That is the main event. That is always the main event because it is smart. It's it's you have to make the read. Like if you if you're watching the finals and you know what's going on, you can appreciate smart play. It's like how the garden cheers hustle players. Like if someone a ball's going out of bounds and let's say Carmelo dives for it or he makes the extra pass, they'll go crazy because they realized what he did. Mm -hmm. Marvel is more like the hype and like this is insane. This is crazy. You know, it's the hot chick that comes to the club and does ridiculous stuff, <laughs> but you don't really like, you're like, okay. So every game is, every game is like different. Uh, Mario Kart, is, it's a fun game, man. It's a really fun game, except for that blue turtle shell. Then <laughs> it's, it's not fun. Are you allowed to, to make noise and cheer and like get excited about these games that people are playing? Or is it kind of oh, like, yeah, like golf where you, everyone, no, no, it, he's it, about to engage and. You know, like that. No way, no way. It's, it, no, it's weird because you can share and make as much noise as you want, but it people just realize, like, they get swept up in watching the matches that they just hush themselves. And then, like, when something happens and they make a great read or they set somebody up, like, in a perfect way, and they're like, 
it, it's really one of those moments. Like, if you watch a replay, like, well, maybe one day we'll watch a match and then, like, a really good match. And then I'll explain to you what's going on and you can kind of see. And then you can see how people will get just, like, involved. And then there's the storylines between the players. Like, you know, this person came from here and went through this and they're here now. Like, last year, Noel Brown, he lost his mother and he got into, I think, top eight for Marvel. And it was, like, an emotional thing for him. So everybody was on their chair, like, on the edge of their seat, like, hoping to see that he does well, you know? Okay, so you do kind of have your favorites that you root for. Yeah. Excellent. Let's take a break and hear from someone we haven't heard from in a while. We have a new poem from Skaggy the Poet about alts, and I'm going to share that with you here. Hello there and welcome to Get the Girl, Kill the Baddies and Save the Entire Planet, episode 13. Much delayed gaming poetry hosted by the Great Area Podcast with me, Skaggy the Poet. Why is it much delayed? Because I'm a lazy old Skaggy and I've been far too busy gaming to really think about doing any poetry. But I've got one here for you. Um, So... Let's get on with it, shall we? You've waited long enough. Today's poem is about alts. You know, when you've got too many characters in a game, but you just can't resist rolling up another one. Alts. Hmm. People love them. People hate them. I've got a poem about them. Uh, apologies again to the original source writer. I'm very, very sorry. Um. Anyway, here we go. I've got 99 problems, but an alt ain't one. I've got an alt who heals, an alt who dual wields, an alt who's a spellcaster, an alt with a blaster. I've got alts who like pets, alts who aren't raid ready yet, alts whose names are rude, alts who raid in the nude. I've got one alt who's into companion romance, and one alt who'd rather take his trousers off and dance. So if you've got gaming problems, please don't be glum, because if you're 99 problems, an alt shouldn't be one. I've got alts who PvP and alts who won't, alts that ride speeders and alts that ride goats, alts in one guild, alts in another, alts that once rolled should have been smothered. I've got alts for roleplay, alts I'll never play, alts who do nothing but craft all day. Alts who are cowards and alts who are brave, I've got permadef alts I've sent to an early grave. So don't listen to the forums if they say your game is doomed. Just simply roll up more alts to forestall your bad mood. So I've got alts over here and alts over there. Alts that are bald and alts with long hair. Alts that are monsters and alts who are heroes. Alts whose charisma score is zero. Alts who play solo or those that will do group quests. Alts who can always farm rares best. Alts who are carnivores. Alts who are veggies. Alts who like giving raid bosses wedges. So I bet if you're 99 problems when you log on, there's no way ever, ever an alt is one. So there you go, alts. Sign of a good game, how many alts you want to play in it. Star Wars, good game, tons of alts. TSW, yeah, didn't support alts. Didn't support Skaggy's love, I'm afraid. Disagree? Why not write to me, Skaggy the Poet, at netscape.net. Or follow my blog, skaggythepoet.wordpress, where you can tell me what a good game TSW is and how I'm speaking out of my bottom. But I'll disagree with you, because I couldn't roll an alternate. Huh? Disagree? Agree? Whatever. 
Hope to see you soon anyway. Until next time, toodle poop. Thank you to Skaggy for this latest poem. And now back to fire. Going back to some previous questions that I just kind of thought I should add to, what is the basic number of people that attend this? Oh, wow. Like, wow. Um, you're looking at at least a good 10,000 easy. Minimum. Oh, my goodness. And they're all in the same, like, large room? Yep, they're all in one hall. That's it. And they what they do is that I think Street Fighter had, like, a couple thousand this year for entry. So they break you down into pools, like, from maybe 7 to 8 a.m. till maybe 9, 10 or something, but you basically play pools, and they schedule it. They they do a really good job scheduling it, and a lot of the volunteers that they get to run and do a really stand-up job about a, a stand-up job doing everything and make sure everything goes underway. Like, you have to give it up to, to Tom Cannon, the, the Cannon Brothers, actually, Mr. Wizard and all the SRK people, because they do a great job, and the community does a good job of building up the hype to this event, so. And it's all in one day? It's no, it's three days. It's three, three days. Sundays are always the finals, and then uh, Fridays usually starts pools, and then most games like start pools on Saturday morning, and they continue on at a certain point. They try to whittle it down to a respectable amount by the end of each day because it's just a lot of fighting games being played. Mm-hmm. What's the av- average entry fee for that? Uh, okay, so it's like most tournaments. It's like ten dollars for each game. But for like something like Evo, since you have to pay that they're trying to pay for the hall, the venue fee is anywhere from fifty to like ninety dollars, depending on when you register. Okay. And that goes to like the the venue or whatever, like getting Caesar's Palace or whatever for those three days. And that the rest of the money just goes to the players. Hmm. So is there? A, you're saying there's a cash prize when you win? You- oh yeah, it's cash. It's it, it's a pretty good amount of money. You're looking at least five figures. Nice. Okay, some motivation, definitely. I think you can win. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm telling you, start playing Persona 4 when it comes out in uh, next month, August, because that's probably going to be at Evo because it's a new game. And if you start now and no one knows what's going on, no one knows the engine, and you start playing... And See, the problem it, for me is that it's console. Like, if it was PC, I would be kind of all about that, but... It's but, been a really long time since I played consoles. That you could play. You could play. You could play the games on PC. It's the same game when you play it on the console. It's there's no difference. If you practice on PC all the time, and then you play on console, there is literally no difference. Except there's a little bit of lag on PlayStation Three, but you can get over that. I guess that's true as long as you use the controller. Yeah, you're, you're using a controller as long as you're not playing on your keyboard, then you're fine. Right. Well, WASD a fighting game. <laughs> Regarding controllers, is that kind of like the swag where you just go around and like check out other people's controllers, or what is the thing that everyone is basically looking at, going like, oh, you know, that was really cool that he modded this or, or whatever? Is there something like that? Yeah, it's, I mean, tw- like arcade sticks are pretty much pieces of art because you know you get a faceplate and you get buttons. And then you put it all together. You design. It's like building. It's like a body kit on a car. Mm-hmm. You know, you're like, okay, this looks good. This looks good. And then matches. And it like usually the arcade stick says a lot about the person. Some people like having Spartan controllers. Other people have like flamboyant things. You know, so it, it's a representation of you going into battle, pretty much. Sadly, to paint it, but considering it's an electronic, that becomes a a dangerous proposition. What, I repeat the question. I said I would like to paint my controller, and I've thought about that at times, but considering that it's an electronic device, uh, I think that would carry a lot of, like, danger. 
No way. I've, if you're painting a controller, a standard controller, you can, I think, use a... I forgot what type of paint it is, but you can get away with that. I've seen painted controllers before. They, they pose no danger. Okay. See, I could paint you on my little pony controller. Yeah, you could paint like a bunny and then and stuff like that. You can paint anything you want. Cool. All right. I guess uh, that concludes most of the questions I had. Do you think? Can you think of anything else that I should ask that listeners might be interested in? Um, how do you find out about stuff for Evo? You can do that on ashoreyoucan.com. They usually have a thread mm. about announcing everything for Evo. They also there's a lot of resources out there like ashoreyoucan.com. I play Winner and Event Hubs. If you want to step your fighting games up, if you play a lot of the 2D fighting games, you can go to Dust Loops or maybe Eight Way Run uh, and look up this some of the stuff. So I recommend if you want to get into fighting games, there's there's a pad versus stick debate, like playing on arcade stick or playing on control pad. I say that you play whatever you're comfortable on. I've only started playing on stick because there's no controller ports in Japan. So I had to learn how to play on arcade stick, but there's literally no advantage to either, like definitive advantage to either, because guy there are guys who do very well playing on controller, and there are guys who do very well playing on stick. So it all boils down to how you feel comfortable and what you can execute. I'm surprised that there isn't like, I, I guess, options for other games like Halo or some of the more. I don't know. I mean, I've talked to other competitive teams, and they don't even know what Evo is, and I'm always surprised by that. Uh, you know what it is, is because Evo is, it's not like MLG or IPL or any of these other leagues that they, it's all community. It's all grassroots. Everyone pitches in and everyone makes the event. It's like the Super Bowl that the fans build, you know? Mm. And I think that it's tough because there was a debate for a while for esports and a fighting game, the fighting game community. And then changing the way things go, and it, it's just tough. It's one of those things where if you, it's, you have to get good at the game. Like, you can't, it's one-on-one. You can't have your team carry you. You can't, you know, control the map. You can't control power weapons. There are no power weapons. So you really have to get down and dirty, you know. And fighting games, they don't do so well in America because they take a long investment to get good at. It took me about three years yeah, about 2009 till now. It took me about three years to get to where I am with, with my character, you know? Mm, that's and a good point. I mean, most people do kind of rely on the group, and it basically the key is just knowing maps. And this is really just, like you said, more of a like a head game and knowing your character. Yeah. That's that's clever, though. I, I like that aspect of it. I never considered that before, that you really yeah. are playing the person. Uh, biggest thing about uh, shooting games, and because it's, the thing about it is you get one title for X amount of years with with shooters you get Call of Duty you got Block Ops you got Modern Warfare you got Modern Warfare 2 you got Block Ops 2 there's no set standard you know uh, just too many options to really make it into like yeah because if you're good at Black Ops you may not be good at a Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 so mm-hmm. you can't really pick and choose but with fighting games like you're good at Street Fighter you're good at this you're good at this you're good at that and a lot of those skills do carry over um, but I really do think that it's just the way the games are made, like the way fighting games are made, it's the learning curve because if you go online thinking you're going to do some ridiculous stuff and you'll probably get beat by an old hand, it's like I've seen all that before and then you'll get beat. But with shooters, you can camp and you can kind of get away with shenanigans. <laughs> okay. You can definitely get away with more shenanigans and shooters than you can with fighters because there's not that many places you can run. So. Ah. 
Well, a lot of these games are kind of older. I mean, you're looking at like Mortal Kombat. This is the ninth version of Mortal Kombat. Do you think that this tournament helps keep some of the, I guess, classics kind of alive? Evo, I think it makes or breaks games because uh, Street Fighter Cross Tekken, I don't think it's going to do very well after Evo because they only included it because it was new, but it does a job in just seeing the community. Like Street Fighter is always going to have the draw because everyone knows Street Fighter and Marvel is going to get people. <laughs> Mortal Kombat surprised everyone, actually, it being an actual solid fighting game. And when you look at a game on the Evo stage, they take what you know, like they take the basic three colors and they make a beautiful painting when you can only make like finger, like a freaking stick figure, you know? Mm. So it really shows what the game can do. And then that extends to the life of the game because you discover new things looking at Evo that you'll never discover just like playing on your own, you know? Is it a different world playing Street Fighter? Because th that is a 2v2, which is different than the other single player games. Uh, Street Fighter Cross Tekken? Uh, uh, well, they had a 2v2, yeah, and they try to do that. I mean, usually it's a one-on-one -on -one game with two characters, but it depends on how they want to organize it. I mean, they could made they could have made Mortal Kombat a 2-1-2, you know? It's all oh, arbitrary. So. Do you think they're just throwing these partners together? No, or, no, or no, no. people no. that work together normally? People that work together. People say, hey, I need a team. I know one of them, Alex Jabaley, uh... He was on Twitter looking for a partner, and he said, and I quote, I will not pass the ball like Kobe, so just be ready for, to not be tagged in if you're my partner, if you want to be my partner. So it was pretty funny, and there's different synergies with different characters. Like, I thought about playing it as uh, Cammy and having my friend play uh, Hugo, who's a grappler, who does more damage and is like a, has, like, more life. Mm -hmm. So... Like, I, you know, I'm fast, I'm in and I'm out, and then I'm tagging in the hammer, you know, to close things out. So, you what can you get creative. Team? Uh, let me see. If I had a team, if I had a team, a two on, it's two, it's going to be, it would be Cammy and King, because King is wearing a Jagger head. I think it's a Cougar or a Jagger. So, and then they wrestle. I would think it would be the Thundercats, because they both dress up like cats, and one of them has, like, lightning bolts on their legs. Okay. <laughs> It'd be something different. Oh no! You know what? You know what? I know what my name would be. The Equestria Knights of Swagger. There you go. <laughs> EKS for short. Yes, EKS. All praises be to Princess Celestia. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't think I have any other questions. Unless there's anything you'd like to add before we close. Um. Okay. For those. Okay. This is just a general fighting game thing this is if you want to get good or if you're already at a certain level with fighting games don't get to a point where you're worried about making the right decision making the right read don't do that because then you become mechanical and predictable make those reads when you can but always keep to your randomness keep to you know creativity have fun if you're not having fun out there then there's no point in playing true for all games yeah don't succumb exactly. to the pressure just have fun. It's a video game. You're not getting shot or hit in real life, so enjoy yourself. <laughs> That's right. You don't have to protect your character because it doesn't hurt you. Yep. Excellent. Okay. Well, thanks for uh, doing this. I appreciate the input. And um, I will put your like personal info. You can find Fire at blah, 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 blah yep. at the end. So. And don't forget, I like long walks on the beach, chocolate milk, you know, <laughs> picnic. Really? Fire. Most people don't put those two together. Long walks on the beach and chocolate milk.
Well, I mean, you know, sometimes they don't know what they're doing and they get the sand in the milk. But if you do it oh. right. Simultaneously? You, like drinking chocolate milk while you're walking on the beach? I mean, sometimes I do that, you know, like. Really? Because yeah. you like, well, we had the chocolate lemon discussion. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, sometimes I like to put things together that shouldn't be going together normally. Uh, okay. Just to mix it up. Just to mix it up. Okay. <laughs> Very good. Okay. Well, thanks, Fire. No problem. Right. I love doing the show. <laughs> it's fun to have you on. A big thank you to Fire. And you can find him on Twitter at the Glory of Fire, spelled with P H I R E, or CLGamer.com. So thank you for listening. If you'd like to leave some feedback, as always, you are welcome to find me on Twitter at Gray Area Podcast, at Facebook slash Gray Area Podcast, or on iTunes with your new RSS. If you have any gray areas in your relationships or just need a new perspective, email your questions, advice, or suggestions to genesegray at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week with a new episode.